to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of 90s genre cinema recently. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Yeah, this is an official 90s theme getting out of hand. Uh, <laughs> uh, because we end up watching shit like this. Yeah, we're, we're definitely scraping the bottom of the barrel now. <laughs> definitely. We Just to be clear, we are a, a podcast that covers... That covers every decade. Uh, there's there's no limit, but this recently it's just fun to talk about. It's it's a lot of fun to uh, talk about nineties horror, especially nineties teen horror that is a product of Scream. Yeah, yeah, we do seem to go in that direction a lot. Um, it's, it's films we kind of know or know of or. Films that we kind of wanted to get around to watching. I mean, I'd never seen this week's film, uh, An American Werewolf in Paris. But it was always on the watch list. No fucking clue, no. Why now? Yes, we are discussing An American Werewolf in <laughs> Paris. Better staying on the fucking watch list. <laughs> Released in 1997, directed by Anthony Waller, uh, who made Mute Witness, The Guilty, Nine Miles Down and The Singularity is Near. Which Mute Witness? Nineties, uh, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, that apparently was... it was like an independent film that got quite successful. Yeah, there's quite a twist mm. um, in that one. So if if that's the one, I think it is. Yeah. Made on a budget uh, in a bizarre series of events. Yeah. Made on a budget of twenty five million dollars. And it made $26.5 million worldwide, Ooh. unsurprisingly. Um, so this is, of course, a sequel to An American Wealth in London. Now, An American Wealth in London was a cultural reset in its own right. It very much set the tone and the bar for modern horror comedy as we know it. Um, would you agree? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's... it's uh, it was a big success, a classic. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it, it did, it blended horror and comedy perfectly. Um, you know, it changed up monster movies and how we looked at them. You know, it, it's a classic. And that was made on a budget of $10 million. Yeah. $10 million. And we get one of the best, or if not the best, werewolf transformation scene of all time in that film. This, $15 million more... And it, it is fucking horrific. It, it really is. It, it's so strange. And we're going to keep mentioning it as we go through the film. But it's so strange and weird that American Werewolf in London, that werewolf transformation scene and other parts of the, the special effects during the film have been such a reference point for many werewolf films afterwards yes that have nothing to do with the sequel nothing to do with the original film but you know you do a werewolf film that is your reference point yes um and for the well i say direct sequel but for the sequel (laughs) to not use that as its transformation reference point is beyond. Yeah, I don't know why they would spend more money for something that looks this bad. I mean, 
it's not like anyone was ever like, oh, no, do you know what, the, the practical effects were awful in American Wealth in London, you know, or why would you want to do that? No, no, seriously, it makes more sense. You, it, this is bizarre. I suppose the question you need to ask is, um, there's, what is it like a 15-year difference between the two films? 1981 was the original. 1981, so yeah. 16 years um, difference between the two. So for inflation, you know, looking at different budgets and such. Um, but surely the effects couldn't have cost that no. much in comparison to the CGI to make it a $25 million film. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's mm. not like... So in 1997, as far as I know, CGI was new. Surely fucking looks new in this film. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's new... But even by 1997 standards, this looks awful. It, it is something straight out of a PlayStation 1 game. It's, it's so not even like strange. the cast took up the budget either. It's not like there's big cast members. No. But anyway, getting into the trivia, Julie Delphi's in this. and uh, She now admits that the only reason she made this film was to pay her rent. Um, and she's also said that she gave such a good performance despite taking on the film just for cash. And disliking the experience so much that she avoided doing any other commercial Hollywood films. Oh, dear. I mean, Narendra got paid. Good performance. I'm not so sure. <laughs> Does she... I mean, she was very briefly in Age of Ultron. So <laughs> she went back on that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, she had a cameo. <laughs> she had a little cameo. Um, but yeah, I mean, she'd starred in all three of the uh, Three Colours trilogy. She'd already starred in before... Um, Sun, sunrise before sunrise isn't it mm-hmm. yeah it's the first one uh the richard uh, richard link made a film that she's most well known for yeah she'd already been in all of them before yeah. this surely she could have you know gotten a if she was going to do an american film mm-hmm. it could at least have been a bit of a prestige <laughs> drama what's this about in a scene that was deleted from the film, it was discovered that the Werewolf Society had been around for centuries and the werewolf that attacked David Kessler and Jack Goodman in American Wealth in London was once a member because that's apparently necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was travelling about. Like, seriously, it's a random werewolf in the original. That's it, that's all you need. Yeah. It doesn't need to be part of a fucking society where all the members look like the real house husbands from New Jersey who have just joined a gay boy band. But that's... <laughs> but that's the thing. You know, there has to be this backstory in all sequels and so... Do you know what? I'd rather you just rehash the first one. Yeah. But it's such an easy a, concept. With a French accent. You know, it's so easy. It was so much easier. It's it's supposed to be a horror comedy, but there's nothing funny about this. It. It's so cringy. It it genuinely it just feels like a teen comedy. In fact, there's no this entire film feels like uh, someone's drunk uncle at a wedding gets up, does a speech full of bad jokes, and it just goes on for an hour and a half. Because that's all it is. This film is just one big bad joke. It feels like someone put, and this is before both films came out. But someone put American Pie and Hostel together, <laughs> but didn't have the balls to make it overtly sexual or violent. So it's kind of a, a what was the, like a censored version, really, yeah. of those two films put together. Um, which Hostel was very sort of American Pie-ish in its yeah. own right. 
But, oh my god. So what we're saying is this is actually a highly influential piece of cinema. Well, apparently. <laughs> Despite the poor reviews, the film gained a strong cult following over the years. Ooh. Why? Why? John Landis was the original choice to direct the sequel and also wrote one of the many screenplays considered. That brings me into our first bit of lengthy trivia. Um, the trivia goes on a bit first. It was only through the Writers Guild of America um, arbitration process that Stern and Burns, uh, responsible for the writing of this film, uh, discovered... Also, this trivia is really badly written, so it's not my uh, not my ability to speak. It's just badly written trivia. Um, discovered just how many writers were involved in the intervening time. Um, anytime you get more than three writers, the Writers Guild has to do uh, something to determine credit. So we got the material which listed all the screenwriters that had been involved, most of whose names are new, Burns said. They, the Guild, sent me a stack of scripts, Stern said. I counted them and there were 12 writers after we'd been involved. Some of them were writing partners, so it wasn't necessarily 12 drafts, but there were a lot of writers. I was surprised. It was kind of impressive, but my real reaction was, Jesus, we can't really, uh, we can't go with any of the, why can't any of these writers get it right? Why can't I get it right saying it? Uh, I was still bitter about it because I was proud of the script that we wrote. Uh, I thought we really cracked it. Burns recalls being somewhat shocked by the level of talent brought in after he'd got the sack. I was like, wow, there are, there are Oscar winners here. <laughs> and this guy wrote the biggest film of the summer, he said. There, there's an odd saying someone told me in Hollywood. They fire a director when the film's in big trouble, and they fire a writer because it's Monday. <laughs> These were all lessons I learned about the experience. Yeah, this guy was the original director, I remember now. Um, because I honestly thought, we've done a great job here. How could it go wrong? Everyone seems excited. What could go wrong with that? But apparently a lot could go wrong. It went in favour of Stern's, uh, Stern and Burns, uh, with the two securing a writing credit alongside Waller. However, again, Stern and Burns found themselves uh, involved in yet more legal wrangling over money after the studio failed to send through the writer's production bonus, a one-off payment to mark the start of production. Eventually, the time came for the duo to view the finished product. Stern, who was living in LA, was invented to the studio to see a rough cut and a finished product for which he received a writing credit uh, bore no resemblance to his vision. Some elements remained intact, Andy's big werewolf attack takes place near Jim Morrison's grave. Uh, the heart cure and the werewolf drug were all still crucial plot points. They were Americans, uh, they were werewolves, it was set in Paris, and the character names were the same. Other than that, it was virtually unrecognisable. They were Americans, and they were werewolves. <laughs> and it was Paris. And it was in Paris. <laughs> yeah, the film's called An American Werewolf in Paris. Um, so I'm not sure if he can take credit for that. <laughs> yeah, he was not impressed with the rough cut of the no, final was I. Um, Andy was no longer a regular guy drawn to Paris by the attack on his uncle. Now he was an American tourist heading to Paris with two of his pals as part of Daredevil's tour of Europe, each uh, participating in getting Daredevil points for various wild and crazy stunts. Like a pre-YouTube generation version of Jackass. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, he meets Seraphine, blah, 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 blah. We'll get to that shortly. Uh, it made no sense for the character, uh, not the one they envisioned, and not even for the character as they envisioned it. Well, yeah. Uh, the film then goes uh, less like a horror film and more like American Pie. There with we go. Andy now convic- uh, convinced that Seraphine's the love of his life. Uh, badly exe- executed comedy ensues. Uh, when the horror finally arrives, the werewolves are now predominantly CGI and they looked at it. Uh, 
Yeah, and he just goes on for ages about how shit the film is and how the twist of Jenny Agatha and David Norton's characters being involved is just shit. I uh, said so I just felt no, I felt nauseous the whole time watching it. The film sucked. It was just a terrible film. Is that my review or his review? His review. Um, he's saying he wanted to go see it because had his name on it, and he apparently. Uh, he, he what they wouldn't let him into the premiere. And so basically, it's very long-winded all this trivia. But the the main point is, so he put it on IMDb. I, I swear he put it on IMDb. <laughs> this is very much um, in favour of him and the other writer. Yeah, basically, he wanted a horror film uh, with bits of comedy, and someone turned it into this. Whatever this is. Whatever this is. Anything else? Um, it goes on forever. I ain't gonna bore everyone with the whole sentence, but yeah, it just fucking goes on forever of him just moaning about. I think he's just film. gone on to IMDb and just <laughs> this has nothing to do with me. This uh, isn't my film. He enlisted the help of Tony Gardner, who handled the practical effects duties on Freaked, um, designing such memorable creatures as the worm, the sock, and Oritz the dog boy. Any idea? No, no, I don't actually. Gardner, who started his career working for Rick Baker on the John Landis music video for Michael Jackson's Thriller... Well, there you go. There's some credentials. Um, ...was excited by the prospect of building on Baker's iconic work on The Werewolf. Because, of course, I, th- I believe Rick Baker did the original American yeah, Werewolf. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he said, when I worked for him, I got to see all the stuff from American Werewolf up close and personal, which was very inspiring. Uh, this was a chance to do justice to how innovative Rick is while paying respects to the original. It's a classic that still holds up, so we wanted to take advantage of advances in technology to do more with those original ideas. Ew. This is your tribute? Oh God, I'd be insulted if I was Rick Baker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Tom Stern wrote another novel on IMDb about how uh, <laughs> he wanted it to look like Jurassic Park, the blend of CGI and practical effects. Oh, Bitch, you failed. <laughs> I mean, comparing this to Jurassic Park, come on, really? What's Roger Ebert got to say? So you should got to say something. Yeah, for my last films. bit of trivia, because this this trivia is awful. Um, Roger Ebert disliked the film and said in his review. I was not one of the big fans of John Landis' original 1981 film, but glancing over my old review, I find such phrases as spectacular set pieces, genuinely funny moments and sequences that are spellbinding. My review of the Paris werewolves will not require any of those phrases. (laughs) He says, I was not the biggest fan, but he's calling it fucking spellbinding. (laughs) Come on, mate. Um, yeah, so now that we're out of... You're allowed uh, to just like a film. It's I know, okay. yeah. You're allowed to just enjoy a film and think, do you know what, that's great, that is. Yes. Now, I understand we're on a podcast where we diss a lot of films. <laughs> but, you know, you're allowed to just have, as a reviewer, you're allowed to just have fun with films. I know. Actually, I just really enjoyed that. Yeah. Go see it. It's great. Thanks. So, getting into the film, an American man unwittingly gets involved with French werewolves who have developed a serum, allowing them to transform at will. Mm, no. <laughs> not really. No. 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 No, that's not quite right. Um, and we'll, we'll show you why now. We start with CGI Sky, as <laughs> so we pan down to Paris. How do we know it's Paris? Because we see the Eiffel Tower straight away. Oh, yeah. Straight away with the Eiffel Tower. We're giving the overdramatic soundtrack and opening credits. 
get some nice fake lightning over Paris. We do. It's very stormy. It's always a stormy night these things happen, isn't it? Never happens on a clear night. No. No. Um, a very dishevelled looking man escapes from a manhole. Yeah. And runs towards... Uh, what's he running towards? Taxi. Taxi. Taxi, that's it. Um, we know that because he shouts taxi at least ten times. <laughs> what feels like ten times. Um, there yes. is... In fact, the thing, and this is what I don't understand, is that there's loads of taxis there. Yeah. There's a taxi bank, but no one else around. No. There was no one else. I mean, you're in the middle of Paris. I don't know what sort of church you're outside of. I don't think it's Notre Dame Cathedral, is it? They probably didn't have the rights to film there. Um, or in the catacombs, as it turns out later in the film. Um, but I know it's a stormy night, but why all the taxis hanging around if there's no one else around? <laughs> Even the taxi drivers are like, oh, mate, I, get, I might as well go home. It's terrible. Well, there's an opera performance taking place, isn't there? There is. I don't know why we see this. It's, no idea. It's absolutely nothing to nothing do. Nothing to do. So we get this choral chanting, don't we? Yeah. That appears to be happening at the... Well, we don't actually see any opera. It's just the classical... We don't see anyone actually singing. <laughs> But we hear the singing on the soundtrack. Um, absolutely no idea why. No. No idea why. They're trying to make it classy. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, the dishevelled guy is grabbed by an unidentified assailant. And uh, the taxi driver just runs away. Yeah. Without really helping. Um, yeah, seemingly, I mean, nothing's reported to the police. No, 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 just dragged underground just and that's it. Just dragged underground yeah. and that's it. And then Euro trips... I mean, sorry, um, Andy is introduced... Yeah, like oh, excuse me. <laughs> Andy McDermott, um, played by Tom Everett Scott, is a tourist seen the size of Paris with his friends Brad and Chris. They're introduced on the train, drinking wine and acting like typical teens in a 90s teen movie. Uh, they're discussing their sex points... Yeah, so I put here three American douches on a train, compare Daredevil and sex points, and talk stereotypes about women and Europeans whilst drinking red wine. Oh my god, they look like the guys from, from Justin to Kelly, you know his friends? They do, yes. Oh, it's very much in keeping with American teen stereotypes. I'm just left college, we're going to rule the world. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Um, we get a lovely hairy armpits joke. We do, of course. Of course. Of course, we get a hairy armpit joke. Yeah, Brad spots someone attractive, but Andy informs them that she's not interested in douchebags like them because European babes are charming and sophisticated. And he also informs them that he's going to show them a stunt they'll never be able to top when they get to Paris. Yes. Some generic late 90s rock plays <laughs> as the Eiffel Tower closes. Oh yeah, this soundtrack is just... There's a few on our on our now. That's what I call horrorcore trash of a playlist on Spotify. It is quintessential nineties teen horror. Absolutely, soundtrack. absolutely. And uh, our rebel douchebag brothers, <laughs> I call them bros. Throughout the whole of my notes, they climb up the Eiffel Tower, ready for Andy to win those important daredevil points. Yes. This, this film forgets that they're getting these daredevil points quite quickly. I mean. The, well, I suppose the whole werewolf narrative takes over. I suppose, but I even mean, before that. I mean, you know, fighting a werewolf, that's quite yeah. some daredevil points, isn't it? 
It's true, it's true. I was just hoping to see them do more stupid shit. I mean... Well, I was thinking, I would like to have gotten a little more establishment of who these... Well, actually, no. They're, they're all just fucking idiots yeah. as well. Like, yeah. they're so dumb. Um, yeah, so Andy starts preparing some rope and ties it around his legs. Whilst Brad tries to talk him out of whatever he's about to do. But they're interrupted by someone walking up to the top of the tower. And when they see um, who is uh, Seraphine Pigo, uh, played by Julie Delphi, Brad's like, what is she doing here? What do you mean, what is she doing? You don't fucking you know, know her. You, this is the first time you've seen her. I was like, what the fuck are you doing there? <laughs> so the tower is closed. Um, yeah, so Seraphine, she's tearful. She holds a letter in her hand and she jumps. Um, Andy, who has clearly fallen in love at first sight, because it makes the film easier, uh, is, <laughs> jumps after her and manages to save her just before she hits the ground, managing to take one of her shoes for good luck. Before she jumps off, he's there like, oh, oh we're, we, we, we're trying to talk French. was like, what the fuck are you doing? Seriously, you're meant to be trying to talk her down, not encourage her to jump. What I don't understand is that twice in this film... Um, someone ties a bungee <laughs> to their legs and then proceeds to run. <laughs> um, I've seen bungee jumping, you know, like on YouTube and, and shit. They tie your legs together. Yeah. Don't they? Mm-hmm. So you'd be hopping to say... Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to run unless it's tied to one leg. Anyway... I mean, I'm not a bungee jumper myself. This but... is really random, but I, I often get my uh, Eiffel Tower scenes mixed up with this and European Vacation. Jesus. <laughs> I think, I hope, I was... What happens in European Vacation? When he throws the beret off the Eiffel Tower and the jog jumps after it. Oh, I yeah, always think that happens in this film, I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, but I also, um, we, we normally say we've got any history with these films. Um, I watched this on Sky Movies when I was younger, and literally the only thing I remembered about it was the upcoming hilarious condom scene. Um, other than that, I remember nothing else. Now I can see why. I always knew it existed. I always thought it was later. I didn't realise it was post-Scream. Yeah. I always thought it was earlier, like in the 80s. I thought it was like a direct sequel God of anime just Jenny Agatha in Paris or whatnot I don't know yeah so anyway um, yeah he grabs a shoe he's dragged back up to the tower and he bumps his head to great hilarity uh, Seraphine vanishes also how does he go back up like they're holding onto the rope he'd be dangling he wouldn't automatically well it's a bungee though he would bounce back up I suppose that's what but he would bounce back what the film does what it appears is that he would bounce all the way back up yeah when that's not the case so either way his friends would have to pull him back up mm. um, but in this case he bumps his head after the first bounce and wakes up in a hospital with I'm assuming what's meant to be comical bandages around his head I think so yeah um, yeah um, but Seraphine vanishes into the night, leaving Andy intrigued, unaware that she is the daughter of David Kessler and Alex Price. How do you know that? Because Wikipedia told me. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, this is such a dumb Which fucking... Which would make her how old? Also, it would make her not French. <laughs> 
Well, she hasn't got the strongest French accent in the world. And uh, I think she... The the thing is, what the film does, and it actually happened last week with Hellraiser 4, mm. is that you... An American production has set a scene or film in a foreign country, but everyone speaks English. Yeah. Hang on a minute. Hang the fuck on. So, 1981... <laughs> Well, let's say Jenny Agatha was pregnant in that film. <laughs> so you're telling me that <laughs> you're telling me she's sixteen. Yeah, she's sixteen. That would make her sixteen. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> and that's assuming that Jenny Agatha was pregnant after that steamy shower sex in the first film. So. If she wasn't, then she's even younger. This is... <laughs> no. Yeah, seemingly. Oh, my God, this film. Yeah, so... <laughs> she's meant to be... I'm, I'm a, yeah. If she's meant to be... Or if this is... They do that thing where it's... This was actually set in year 2000, but looks exactly like 1997. Exactly, yeah. Um, this, this we don't think things are going to change that much in three years. Do you think they even watch the original film? Do you think they just got, like, the characters' names and, like, oh, okay, I think No, I think daughter. the problem is you had 12 people writing the script for one film. Yeah. And so it's like, well, we'll just add that she's the daughter. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know... That doesn't make any sense. Well, that, that's what I'm adding. You, you can have that. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, so, yeah. So, he wakes up with bandages all over his head. And uh, he is now both figuratively and literally fallen for this mysterious yeah. jumper. One of, uh, one of his friends say, talk about falling for a girl. Yes. Uh, his friends are Brad and Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sends them on a mission to find the note that she was holding in her hand. He does, because he says, she's the girl of my dreams. Yeah, and um, real funny comedy ensues, objectifying some women because they've got cleavage. Um, they get some change from a passerby because they look dishevelled and sat on the floor. Yes. And what song's playing on the soundtrack, Gary? Uh, Walking on the Sun by Smash Mouth. Yes. Which is actually a little bit of a pop. Don't tell anyone. It's yeah. actually an alright song. Um, um, but that's about it. Absolutely something you'd hear in American Pie. Oh, no, of course you would. Yeah, of course you would. I mean, uh, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, were they busy? Oh, they got the suicide machines for Scarpunk. Yeah. Because they're going to get Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yeah, or Less Than Jake. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's... I don't know. I find it very weird that... These films in the late 90s, and, and most of them are horror films, they kind of all have that generic, either college rock or some pop punk or, like, scar in. Yeah. When it's like, that, I don't feel like that was the popular music of the... I mean, it wasn't... They're not charting, are they? Like, you think, like... Well, I suppose I don't you... know because Real Big Fish got quite big with uh, Sal Out. My my boss has had the impression that I get. So There's kind of always yeah. in the charts. Yeah, but I I mean in terms of, and it's not necessarily in this film, but there's a lot of films where, to say like a kind of, blonde cheerleader stereotype, decides to put on, the um, CD player, and she's listening to. 
less than Jake. Yeah. Where really what she would probably be listening to is Janet Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was and I understand it's a budget thing and you're not gonna you know, you're not gonna get um Madonna on every soundtrack or, or whoever was popular at the bloody yeah, why am I struggling to think who was popular in ninety seven? But it's always kind of this rock music. Yeah. And I suppose it's in keeping with the target audience, which is, you know, um, us, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Blame Screen 2. Screen Even though two I do started love, it. I love my chart music as well. Um, yeah, so Andy spots Seraphine in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, but hilariously gets knocked over by a doctor who opens his door that he's standing by. Chris and Brad return somehow with the address for Seraphine. Like, how the fuck Apparently did they get the address? Apparently it's on the note. Apparently it's a letter. Yeah. Like, so fucking stupid. Yeah. They go to her house and he gives her a shoe back. Did you not miss the hilarious joke? What? So he sees Seraphine yeah. at the hospital. Yeah. What's she got in her hand? What's she got in her hand? A bag with a heart in. Oh, actually, I missed that. So when the doctor knocks Andy over, Mm -hmm. the doctor says, she's stolen my heart. To which Andy (sighs) replies, I know the feeling. Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) So they go to her house. She has blood on her hands. Yeah. And basically tells him to fuck off. She does. But he keeps ringing her bell like an idiot and he harasses her. Yeah. This whole film is is because he can't leave her alone. Yeah. Even when she tells him, leave me alone. So he bullies her into going on a date the next day. Uh, and she reluctantly agrees. Uh, and then we cut to the date the next day at four o'clock. Um, because, Lord forbid, we get any sort of character development in between. <laughs> Um, at their date, Chris and Brad give Andy some condoms, put it in his pocket, don't they? They give him a makeover, don't they? Well, a little bit. They put sunglasses and a... Shit jacket. Shit and jacket. A cap. And a, yeah. Uh, and so it looks like one of the bros. Yeah, Chris tells him not to show any insecurities because chicks hate that. It's true. It's true. Um, they write a point score for Seraphine on his napkin. Yeah. Something like... 100 points if you bonk her tonight. 100 points if you bonk her. Lovely. Um, and they watch the date from afar, like fucking Laurel and Hardy. They do. Considering they're meant to be, uh, drowning in women. I know, yeah. They're, uh, they're not getting dates of their own, are they? I think Chris gets to the point where he's just willing to accept anyone, because he just, the, he gets to a point where he forgets how to wear a shirt. Yeah. Um, I... Both of them, really. I mean, there's a lot Why of... Why are they in this film? Like, male toplessness in this film. I really don't know why his friends are in this film. I know we needed one of them to take on the Jack role from the original, but they're so fucking pointless. They are, completely. And one of them, spoiler alert, survives to the end. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we get hilarious spit take when um, Seraphine says that her parents are dead. Yes. Okay. So he wipes his mouth with a napkin that has 100 points of a bonker tonight, really. Yeah. And then hilariously, Andy's large stack of condoms is revealed. He pretends it's gum. Yeah. So he chews on one of them. Seraphine, not being, you know, stupid, <laughs> explains that blowing large bubbles is a sign of really liking a girl. So Andy blows up the condom like a balloon and it winds up in someone's soup. 
This entire sequence is just fucking ridiculous. It feels like it belongs in another film. And also, how has Seraphine gone from, look, get the fuck away from my house, I'll go on a date with you, she bullied me into it, to, oh my god, yeah, blow me a bubble, please, oh. Well, she was, obviously, she's being sarcastic, because she knows what's up. But then, in the next scene, she's like, oh, you're so courageous, sweet, and selfless. Where the the fuck does this energy come from? Yeah, saving her from jumping from the Eiffel Tower, she's saying is one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for her. Yeah. When she was trying to kill herself to rid herself of a fucking werewolf curse. Exactly. <laughs> because she killed her parents. Well, her her mother and stepfather. Well, he informs her that no one as beautiful as her deserves to be sad. Yes. Yes, of course. Because if she was ugly, she absolutely deserved to be sad. Yeah. If she wasn't objectively attractive, then she deserved a terrible life. The French version of Ronnie Pickering uh. um, comes up and he is... Fucking absolutely fuming. Drop a bare knuckle. Condom in his soup. <laughs> they do have a bare knuckle because he punches Andy and then pushes Chris and Brad to the floor before Seraphine throws him through a table <laughs> with ease. And it looks stupid as fuck. It does. Um, I'd rather they just had like a, a double sort of like spin him around and shit. Like, you know, if you're going to go for comedy, fucking go for comedy for Christ's sake. Um, what, she just kind of, yeah, pushes him and goes, oh, <laughs> sacrable. Yeah. Um, um, oh, sorry, there is no French. Even the French people don't yeah. speak French in this fucking <laughs> film. I hate it. I hate it. Because, like I said last week, you're automatically assuming your audience are too thick. Yeah. To be able to read subtitles or too lazy or, do you know what I mean? Yeah, plus when we went to Paris, how often was it that we found someone who actually spoke English? Not very often, it wasn't, was it? It wasn't, it was only in the really big touristy areas. Yeah. And even then, you know, they kind of, in this film you get your, your mercy, your bonjours, you know, all that shit, you know, any sort of six-year-old knows. You, and when you, they teach you in school, you get yeah. it in books, you know, hello, goodbye, you know, thank yeah. you. It's the first words you learn. And then everything else is in English. Um, and not even... Some of it's not even, like, like strong French accents. I don't think... Considering she is French, I didn't think Julie Delphi had a strong French accent. No. And they probably told her to play it down. But it's still there. And the thing is, and that yeah. just makes it ridiculous, considering that she's meant to be their daughter from... Yeah, well, obviously she was probably schooled. If she went to Paris, if she'd been in Paris 16 years, um, number one, she probably should still be in school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number two, she probably she would have been schooled in France. Yeah. Um, so but that's yeah. never explained, so we're no. left to assume that she wasn't and that she was born in the UK and then randomly moved to Paris. It's fucking so lazy. It's stupid. It's, it's so stupid. lazy. It's too many cooks boiling the broth. Yeah. Because none, of, because none of it makes any sense. No. Because no one's really, no one's whole thought process is put into place. Exactly. Um, Seraphine uh, explains that no one can help her, but um, say, if, oh yeah, no, we, this one she said he's sweet, courageous and whatever. Um, she leaves the cafe and Andy goes after her. He tries kissing her, but she leaves and tells him not to get involved because she cares about him. Why? Why the fuck do you care about this random guy? I just met. 
who prevented you from, you know, saving yourself and turning into a werewolf and killing yourself. So yeah, with well, the thing, the the thing is, her thought process at the moment is that she's killed the two people in her life mm. because she's a werewolf. She doesn't want to kill any other people, so she went to jump off the Eiffel Tower to kill herself. Yes. Yeah. So, he saves her from doing that and suddenly becomes the most important person in her life. Uh-huh. When, by the end of the film, what, they've known each other less than a week? Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just like, no, I'm actually just gonna, you know, I might as well just do it. You, yeah. You know? Um... Anyway, he, I put, he runs after her because he's oblivious to the many red flags. <laughs> and Seraphine tells him yet again that he shouldn't get involved. Yeah. He's, Andy's then talking to Chris and Brad and he says, the way she talks about her parents is as if she blames herself. <laughs> I'm like, when the fuck was this she made She never parent? said that. <laughs> she said her parents were dead and you spat out your coffee everywhere. <laughs> I mean, again, lazy writing because he's right. And bad editing. I mean, you that... can't just say blurt that out. But the thing is, that scene was probably in there of her saying all this, but yeah, the editing's that bad. Yeah, that they you know left that in. Uh, they go to harass her yet again at yep. her home, but a mysterious man named Claude answers the door. Andy's super jealous when he describes himself as someone who. Looks after Seraphine. Yeah, he was recently... Not his, her brother. He was called a crook on Instagram um, by one of the real housewives. Uh, yeah. um, it's like all of the men in this look like they're from Real Housewives in New Jersey. Well, I think what they're going for, because they are all got shaved heads, yeah. all the werewolves. So I feel like what they're going for is, and it's more apparent later, it's kind of a neo-Nazi thing. Yeah. Um, or like, um, a biker gang aesthetic, mm. um, slash Bright Said Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's more apparent later because at the moment it's just some dude that happens, you know, we don't even know if it's a werewolf or not. No, he's, he's there to, yeah, he's there to look after, uh, Seraphine and, uh, he tells me he loves Americans and invites them to a nightclub called Club de la Lune. That happens a lot. I love Americans. Yeah. Through the film. Um, yeah. Della Lune. Yeah. And uh, so the club is Della Lune and it has a moon it does. on the sign, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, could I make it any more obvious? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is absolutely them trying to do the screen thing, by the way. The whole meta humor. Yeah, this is, yeah. Yeah, the guys uh, can't find Seraphine, so Chris volunteers to go back to her house only to find her in a cell in the basement. Of course, he thinks it's some sort of kinky game. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I said, the bros can't find Seraphine, so Chris decides to help a bro out by taking over harassment duties and yeah. going to Seraphine's home. <laughs> he finds her locked in a cell, and despite her protests, lets her out. The dancing in this club is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> And later as well. Yeah, they're just kind of like moving. And this, this definitely isn't the sort of music you're going to hear in a club in 997, no, surely. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Especially in France as well. Yeah. Um, knowing the club is a ruse, she locks Chris in the cell and goes to save Andy from danger. Yeah. She knocks him out as well. She does, yeah. 
uh, Claude is uh, actually the leader of a werewolf society that uses the club as a way to lure in people, dun, dun, preferably dun. tourists, to be killed. Seraphine arrives and tells Andy to run away as the French werewolf bros huddle up and chant something. This is absolutely given that video as well from uh, Louis and Real Housewives of oh, New Jersey. Stop, of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is an American werewolf in New Jersey. <laughs> Chris takes his shirt off to show off his abs for the first of many times. Yeah, come on. Really? This is the only way you can have him escape? Well, he's had vest on for the rest of the film. He's never... <laughs> I don't think any part of the film are his arms covered in any way. Yeah, uh, he he turns a t-shirt into a rope. Well, yeah, so what he does, so he takes off his, well, he takes, he gets into his underwear, actually, doesn't he? he does. Ties his clothes together and throws them underneath where the key is, conveniently, directly in front of him, which is too far. Um, so then he takes off his shoes and throws them at the key, so the key falls and lands on his clothes, so he can then pull... <laughs> the key back to him and break free. Yeah. I know what you're trying to do here, American Wealth and Paris filmmakers, but no. Adding adding, uh, homoerotic scenes just ain't going to cut it. It ain't going to save this film. The thing is, at the end of the day, you know, just just a guy in his underwear doesn't necessarily make it homoerotic. I'm referring to when he's tied to a cross by a bunch of bold guys. Yeah, exactly. Or when the (laughs) one clawed naked fight later on in the film. No, I do understand. And they really force having the lead guy in his underwear so many times. So many times. Like, it's... Let me get it. The original film had um, David Norton naked at the zoo. That was a funny scene, you yeah. know? It it worked for that one scene. Doesn't mean you have to do it a thousand times in this fucking film. It's true. Seraphine tells Andy to run away as she transforms into a horrendous-looking CGI werewolf, and he's like, oh, I'll never understand women. No, no. Didn't she start loving bricks? She does. Well. Um, yeah, this, this transformation. Is, you could barely even call it a transformation. You... There's not one single full transformation scene in this film where you see everything. No. And it's probably for the best because fucking hell, it's it really is rough. Um, the club owners transform into werewolves as well and butcher all the guests, and it, it just it's impossible to feel anything for these characters because the werewolves just look so fake. It's unbelievable. Like it is some of the worst CGI I've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's, yeah. It just looks really, really cheap. Yeah. It it it. I don't even know how to describe it. It is. It's like Tomb Raider. It's like yeah. I'd say it's like that, but I think that's a disservice to Tomb Raider. (laughs) It's the closest thing you could describe. But they don't really look like werewolves, though. It's like if, if they had just taken a, kind of, stereotypical look at a werewolf. Mm. And did that in CGI. But it's kind of... Like... Trying to be a dog? Is, yeah. Like, it's so confused. It really confused. It, and there's no wolf in it. Apparently based it off tigers and dogs. Yeah. The stupid no, why. No, based why it off a wolf. That? It's a werewolf. You, ha- you already have a design from the film that you're a sequel to. Exactly. <laughs> Just do that in CGI. <laughs> or just do it a guy in a suit. Or just do it a guy in a suit. <laughs> Like, really? 
Um, the club owners, uh, yeah, they, they transform, and then uh, the bouncer outside, people are trying to get out, they're all locked in, he's like, sorry, members only, no scum allowed, <gasps> and then grabs onto someone's arm, which gets ripped off. It does, yeah. Chris escapes his cell when he finds a legless werewolf confined to a bed. Brad is killed by a werewolf, and Andy is bitten by another werewolf when he tries to escape. Yes. So, um, interesting, when he tries to escape, the werewolf tries to kill him, but he has, like, a... Sorry, piece of a gate. piece of a gate that stabs the werewolf, and that allows him to escape, and he pisses off, whatever. Yeah. Um, Brad, we hardly knew thee. Absolutely nothing interesting to say about no. Brad. The next day, Andy wakes up at Seraphine's house while she's preparing some raw meat in a blender in the kitchen as Chris watches her through the window. Yes. Um, she takes him the smoothie, doesn't she? Yeah. And um, Chris... Chris... It's my own name. It's your name. Why am I struggling with <laughs> Chris tries to get Andy's attention... To say, she's a right weirdo, there's a legless... A mutant werewolf, in the cellar. A mutant in the cellar. Uh, nothing about the blood smoothie, she's just No. Made. But um, Andy's pretty much like, oh, what are you like? Oh, yeah. piss off. You know, and um, he needs to... <laughs> this is so stupid. So Andy needs to calm down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does Seraphine calm him down? She takes her top off and puts her hand, his hands on her boobs. Yes. Um, and whilst doing this, she tells him that he's transforming into a werewolf. He's going to transform into a werewolf. So he laughs it off and makes stupid wolf noises. She then disappears and walks into the room with a drink again. Um, she then takes off her shirt and transforms into a werewolf. Then she's back on top of him and his hands are on her boobs again. It's what? stupid. It's a stupid hallucination sequence. It doesn't really make any sense. And it's just so... You can have the immature joke of him grabbing her boobs and then hallucinating that he's grabbing her boobs and going... Yeah. You know. And then it gets even worse when it's interrupted by the sudden appearance of the ghost of Seraphine's mother, Alex, <gasps> played by someone doing a bad Jenny Agatha impression. Yes. I don't... That... Unless you had told me, that's not sort of given away in the film. At what point is it like, yeah, this is the nurse from the first film? At what point do they say that? I, I think she kind of alludes to it when she's explaining what's going on with her stepfather later on. But only slightly. Yeah. You have to really be paying attention. I mean, we... I. If it weren't for Wikipedia and actually analysing the film scene for scene, I wouldn't have known. I've never known this. I've seen it, like, twice before, and never did I know that was what it was meant to be. No. And also, question for the end, spoiler alert. When... So when Andy kills Claude at the end, mm. is Seraphine cured as well? Yeah. But that makes no kind of sense. Because if she's a werewolf, because she's David Norton's daughter from the first mm-hmm. film, was that even? Yeah, that makes no sense. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. How was she cured at the end? Exactly. Yeah, just more stupid 
lazy, dumb Ryan, basically. Yeah, so... He jumps out the window. He does jump out the window. He's in his underwear. Um, and Claude kidnaps Chris. Yeah. He? Yeah. Um, Andy gets questioned by the police. Yeah, he returns to the scene of the crime where yeah. they have got plenty of severed limbs on full display. Yeah. Like, they're not even trying to hide it. No. Did There's you a, see the in the background that that um woman trying to cover uh, the kids' eyes? <laughs> Did you see the really bad mannequin version of Brad being taken out of the water on a stretcher? Yes. <laughs> Seriously, Poor just Brad. use the same actor. Like, why are you using this? He looks so rubber. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Inspector Ladouce uh, introduces himself and takes Andy to the police station. But they want him tested for drugs after he explains what happened at the club. Um, yeah, so was he a suspect until he started talking to them? And I mean, about I, what happened? Yeah, I assume so. Yeah, they let him go anyway. Uh, his senses are different now and a dog starts humping his leg. Yeah, he has a little moment on the bridge and gets humped by a dog. Yeah. Uh, he's then at a restaurant eating meat. Yeah. Lots of it. And as rare as possible, when a stereotype blonde American woman named Amy Finch arrives in a leopard print skirt, and get, and the uh, leopard print skirt gets Andy going. Yeah. And because she's a stereotypical blonde American woman, she mispronounces every French word she tries. Yes, Julie Bowen. Julie Bowen from Modern Family. Luckily for her, no one speaks French in Paris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, does he rip try to rip her skirt off or something because it's he, leopard print he crawls across the floor and starts sniffing her um, yeah. he introduces uh, himself to her and uh, tells her he, he knows she's wearing hot kitty of course she is um, the perfume oh I see she seems really turned on by the fact that he's just a really fucking weird American guy and they have dinner together well she's she's very pleased that there's another American there in Paris yeah um Brad's ghost corpse appears and chats shit yeah um he says quite derogatory you wouldn't have looked twice at that bimbo yeah in there like uh, why are you now why unless you were a werewolf yeah, he um he explains his werewolf condition briefly, and uh, to great hilarity, someone walks out of a cubicle in the bathroom when uh, Andy looks like he's talking to his penis, and he says, "You know you can't just pop up and tell me what to do. You're just jealous because I'm gonna score. I know you're dead, and so do the police." Yes. There yeah. <laughs> then Andy and Amy. Apparently, his weird behaviour hasn't put her off. No. They go to shag on Jim Morrison's grave. They do. Whilst Mouth by Bush plays. Nice. Uh, he gets incredibly red and hot and jumps into a nearby fountain. Mm. Uh, Amy talks to herself about how shit men are <laughs> until an incredibly shit CGI werewolf emerges. <laughs> hey, you think men were shit? Look at this CGI. Uh, shit CGI werewolf emerges from the fountain and chases her through the cemetery. Yeah. Now, I'm a little confused by what she does next. So, as she's being chased, 
she starts spraying her perfume. <laughs> but I felt she was spraying her perfume to distract. But it's not like she sprays her perfume in one direction no. and then runs in the other. She's kind of leaving it as a trail, she which is. doesn't make any sense. Because if if the werewolf is following her scent, mm-hmm. which is kitty cat perfume or whatever it is, <laughs> then why does she keep spraying it behind her? <laughs> it's true. It makes no sense. You would just kind of like get the bottle and lob it in a random well, yeah. direction and fucking run. Stupid. Yeah. Um, anyway, it does seem to work. Whatever she's trying to do, it does seem to work. Um, because she's kind of escaped him until, um, a police officer who has been following them appears from nowhere, Mm -hmm. makes her jump with his dog. Yeah. Um, cures her of her hiccups, which I didn't even know she fucking had hiccups. (laughs) Oh, you've cured me of my hiccups. And then they're both killed by the werewolf. Yeah. Because he's distracted her and she can't get away. Yeah. Andy is found naked next to a dead dog uh, and arrested by LaDuce, who takes him to the morgue where Amy's ghost and Brad both start bickering while trying to speak to him. Yes. Poor Amy is now a rotten corpse ghost. She is. Um, so he... So it's kind of... The rules are now, aren't they? Yeah. That... Um, he needs to die for Amy not to be a rotting corpse ghost. Yeah. But Brad needs him to kill Seraphine because Seraphine's the one that killed... Or was it Claude? Yeah, well, him? Brad... He tells oh, him a random werewolf, isn't it? Well, he tells him Brad. to become normal again. He must eat the heart of the werewolf that bit him. Yes. Um, And then, yeah, the werewolf that killed Brad has to be killed... For him to be at rest. So he's obviously the police are there and he's been showing Amy's corpse in the morgue. Yeah? Yeah. So he's left alone in the morgue for no reason, really, mm-hmm. apart from plot purposes. And Brad and Amy are bickering. Yeah. But he escapes literally by hiding in one of the body drawers. I. Is, is that even what he... I didn't even see him do that. Yeah, I thought he, he just gets, walks out. So he gets into... So they're right outside the door. Yeah. And they come back in. And he's hidden in one of these... You know, in the, in the mortuary mm-hmm. in films. Um, so he's hidden in one of them. So seemingly the idea is that they go and try to find him. And he just walks out. Because yeah. he's been hiding. Wouldn't they check one of them? Like, You'd think really, so, wouldn't you? They are the police. Yeah. Like, I wonder if there's an empty one of these that he's gone into. It really takes so little effort for him to escape. And when he does escape, he's not trying to hide either when he's no. walking around. He's just... Yeah. And that's when Brad explains that in order to become human again, Andy needs to eat the heart of the werewolf who bit him. That would be Seraphine, who is only known two or three days. Um, but he's still reluctant to do that. Also... Where the fuck did that... Was that Laura in the first film? What what the fuck's this all about? Yeah, I know. Uh, Amy tries to get Andy... Yeah, in the first film, if you're a werewolf, you're a werewolf. Yeah. Amy tries to get Andy to walk in front of a bus, but Brad tells him to move just in time. Um, but then he is kidnapped by Claude and his henchmen, uh, who pressure him to join their society, but to prove his loyalty, he must kill Chris, who they have chained up naked underground. Now we know uh, where Chris is. <laughs> Everyone seemed to have forgotten about him for a long time. 
Um, so, yeah. So, Claude, they're at some sort of church, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Claude explains that they're using their werewolf abilities to rid Paris of the scum and the lowlifes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tells Andy that Andy's being bitten was an accident and he wasn't meant to be bitten. Yeah. So I'm getting neo-Nazi racist vibes from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, xenophobic. Um, even though he's American. Uh, it, it, it's, not, it's not handled great. No. But this is what I'm getting from this. Um, so yeah, it turns out that they have Chris tied up. And Andy must eat his heart to join them. Which, again, is that... A, I don't get it. <laughs> What's the eating everyone's heart thing? <laughs> Um, Andy backs out and Seraphine appears from nowhere to save him. I just want to know why Chris had to be naked and chained up. Like, <laughs> but isn't it later he's got a pair of jeans? He's got a pair of jeans. On. <laughs> well, we don't see anything, so he probably has a pair of jeans in this. <laughs> um, yeah, Seraphine saves him and explains that her stepfather, the guy from the start of the film, prepared a drug to control werewolf transformations. So this is the point. So they're underneath the church. So I'm assuming this was meant to be the catacombs, but they yeah. weren't allowed to use them or, or whatnot. Uh-huh. And they do escape very Indiana Jones style, <laughs> don't you think? Yes. Like through an underground river they do. and shit like that. Uh, yeah, Seraphine talks shit about maybe finding a cure for her lycanthropic tendencies. <laughs> yeah, the cure uh, that they created, uh, it doesn't control whale transformations. It does the opposite. It forces transformations. Yeah, it turns out the dude at the beginning was her stepfather. Yes, um, because he was doing these tests and whatever. She killed her mother and savaged her stepfather. Yeah, and he's the one with no legs. Yeah. Yeah. So... This turns them on, obviously. This gets them going for some <laughs> reason. Um, and they start to get it on. They do. Um, of course... Even Chris is still in danger. You yeah. Know, you're not going to go save your friend? You're just going to shag instead? Well, of course, uh, the first thing she does is strip Andy down to his boxers because we need some more hilarious man in his underwear running around scenes when Claude and the boys show up and chase Andy out in just his underwear. Great it's hilarity. Like, it is a bit like, why are you wasting time when you know Claude is going to... You're yeah. at Seraphine's house. Well, seemingly Claude lives as well. You know, you know they're turning up at any point. Uh-huh. Why are you getting it on? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yet again, Andy is running around with his underwear. A random British guy argues with a French guy. Yes. A- <laughs> well, Amy tries to get Claude's attention as they're chasing Andy. Um, she whistles, but all she does is squirt blood out of her cheek. Yeah. And uh, pops her eyeball out as well in CGI fashion. Yeah. Given uh, um, Friday the 13th Part 3 run from its, for its money. Yeah, random British guy's like, Steady old man, we never touched your car. Well, that's... So Andy pretends... Andy knocks on a car so that the driver will get out and argue with the British guy. He then gets in the car so he can drive off, but just gets into a crash. Um, just runs off mm-hmm. after that, after a massive pile-up. And goes back to Seraphine's house. Yeah. And that's it. Complete waste of time. Yeah, just goes back there without any sort of issues whatsoever. Absolute waste of time. Um, The only thing that's changed is the werewolves have now destroyed her lab. 
killed her stepfather yeah. and stolen the serum that allows them to change into werewolves straight away. But when? They were chasing him that entire time. Exactly. So when did that actually happen? And, and was she not there? Yeah. And also, Where was she? Exactly. And she's there like, no, no, my stepfather. And she's like, anyway, um, so they're having a yeah. uh, 4th of July party. So, uh, are you fucking serious? You're not even bothered. Well, that's the thing. They, they have a flyer that says there's an American independence party at the church that evening. That to me appears to be for Americans only. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> bit harsh. <laughs> when the film says that <laughs> these guys are trying to rid Paris of all the scum, <laughs> and they're ha- they're having a, a party for only Americans <laughs> so that they can kill them off. Bit harsh. Um. Andy gets into this party without even a fake yeah. mustache for a disguise. All he does is put a cap on, put his hood up, and hold his head down. Uh, the police arrive and enter the church because they haven't got a license to have a party there. Um, Andy has the obligatory everyone is in danger speech. Yeah. And predictably no one believes him. Um, Claude and the gang are now in cloaks for some <laughs> reason. So they've barricaded, so they've used... Oh, um, whatever the machinery, I can't remember. What's it called? Digger. Yeah. To barricade the church. So everyone's stuck inside. Police and Americans and the werewolves. The werewolves are in cloaks for some reason and they get arrested by the police. But then they turn into werewolves. A real incredible effect. (laughs) Where a handcuffed hand turns into werewolf. Like real sickening stuff. (laughs) Um, so the reason they're wearing cloaks is because they didn't want to do a full transformation, just an arm. Um, and then one of the police officers gets on the radio and says, oh, you've got to get down here. It's a massacre. Well, it's not, is it? (laughs) What it is, is some bad CGI werewolves running around and a few blood splatters on random walls and pillars. It, 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 am I mistaken, or do you not actually see anyone get killed in this scene? Uh, no, no, it's very PG. Um... And you get everyone... So, a lot of the Americans end up being... Because Seraphine saves the day, yet again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the Americans end up running out. And you, later on, just a little bit later on, there appears to be no, like, corpses on the floor, apart no. from the werewolves who were shot. Yeah, and also um, Chris is there again, this time in just his jeans, and he managed to escape with the cross still tied to him. Yeah, yeah, he's being crucified at the front, and in the massacre, um, the crucifix falls, and he's still tied to it. Lord knows what the fuck happens to him after (laughs) that. Um, Yeah, real shit show. Massacre, I don't fucking think so, don't I? I don't think so. Uh, Seraphine and Andy flee after killing a werewolf and sets uh, Brad's spirit free. <laughs> but when they become separated, Seraphine takes the drug to fight another werewolf. Yeah, apparently, even though she killed her mother and stepfather not too long ago <laughs> because she was a werewolf, suddenly she has complete control over her emotions and, and you know everything else whilst as a werewolf. So she ends up fighting, I'm, I'm assuming it's Claude as a werewolf. 
Maybe. I don't know. Um, who the fuck cares? Andy uh, doesn't know who's who and accidentally shoots her and leaves her to be found by the police after she tries after he tries killing her but can't bring himself to do it despite her asking him to do it. Yeah, he says he'd rather kill himself and then they both die. And she's... Bless her, Julie Delphi. Um, <laughs> this isn't the best performance. But she said, she said it's her best performance. Well, she, she was having an off day during the film this scene. Because she's meant to be in such excruciating pain <laughs> that he just she just wants him to put her out of her misery. She's in so much pain. But it looks like she stubbed a toe. She just can't be asked. She just can't be bothered. <laughs> you know, this isn't a grand death scene. Well, it's not a death scene in the end. Um, but it's not some grand death scene or anything like that. It's very, very lackluster, bless her. Yeah. And the thing is, at the end of the day, you know, I can't turn around and say, beautiful girl, terrible actress, because she's proven herself not to be a terrible actress, yeah. um, but she's having a de- off day. Yeah. Um, Andy's attacked by a werewolf and chased down to an underground train track. After the train... Yeah, because Lord forbid they just fucking kill her off and we finish the fucking film. <laughs> After the train stops due to hitting a werewolf, uh, the werewolf gets on the train where it attacks the driver and several passengers inside. Uh, but the drug wears off and Claude is revealed to be the werewolf. Now, the CGI looked pretty bad in darkly lit scenes. Oh, no. Putting it in a fully lit scene was honestly one of the biggest mistakes in this film. It was a really bad mistake. Oh, my God. It looks even worse. This scene is... It's the scene on the Metro is... Awful, it looks terrible, yeah. and it's it's comical because of it. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry, I said on the Metro, and suddenly Girls Aloud song popped <laughs> into my head. I do apologise. Um, so, instead of losing his heart on the Metro, or crying at the disco, um, Naked Claude fights with Andy. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, where uh, Andy realises that Claude is the culprit behind his infection. He does. So he realises that there's a scar from the um, earlier fence poke. Yeah. Um, and he realises that he is the one who bit him. Also, before they, before they start fighting, Andy fucking jumped through the metro window. He did. How the fuck... <laughs> where the fuck did he jump from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was very die-hard style as well. It wasn't like... Yeah, that's true, actually. It jumps from above and goes down. Like, <laughs> there's no logic behind that. So, he realises that he's the dude that bit him. So, he... They, you know, have a fight. And Andy's accidentally injected with the serum. Claude then actually does lose his heart on the yeah, metro. Yeah, he does. Because, uh... Andy turns into a werewolf and seemingly eats his heart because the day is saved and Andy is no longer a werewolf. He gives out the most pathetic howl <laughs> I've ever seen in a film. And I'm, I'm not one for this hyperbole. Is it hyperbole the word I want? Is it? Where, where sometimes, with all due respect, Gary, you tend to say, this is the worst I've ever seen. This is the best. <laughs> this is... The most incoherent. But I will say, this is the worst <laughs> werewolf howl 
I have ever heard in a film. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Awful. Awful. Now, apparently, whatever Andy has done has also saved Seraphine. Yeah. As she's in the ambulance and senses that the day has been saved. Um, I don't know how. I don't know where this psychic ability came from. Um, so... She then declares her love for Andy. And to hilarious effect, the paramedic who's seen to her... Who's Even that? though she knew she was going to die. Speaking English, even though they're both French. Speaking English, even though they're both French. Says, oh, that's not my name, but whatever... You know, a lovely compliment. I don't fuck. I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> We're finally at the end of this film. Yes. Several full moons later. Several full moons later. Hilarious. Um. Fuck you know. Andy and Seraphine are dressed to get married, and they discuss whether to go ahead with something. Are you sure? Are you sure? Um. This is all happening whilst intense music plays. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, what's happening? They can they get married as werewolves, you know what's happening here. Um, Chris appears, also dressed for a wedding, and drops a ring and it falls and yeah. rolls. They all chase after it and Chris runs into some sort of wall and both Seraphine and Andy jump off what is revealed to be the Empire State Building. No, it's Statue of Liberty. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I've written that down wrong. Of course Statue of Liberty, that's so dumb. Why have I written that down wrong? I wish it was the Empire State Building. But do you know what? By the end of this film, I think my brain had just melted. Yeah, why the fuck have I written the Empire State Building? <laughs> yeah, they bungee jump off uh, and get the ring and, and Andy puts it on Seraphine's finger. Yeah, the end. But, but it turns out one of them's not tied up again. Yeah. And Chris misses it. But their love for each... I, I don't know if the joke is that Seraphine's still a werewolf, so she's still strong enough to hold up Andy. No, she can't be. Or am I just looking too much into it? Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, really, yeah. Stupid awful. ending. Um, really stupid. Stu- it's just such a cheesy, shitty... Film really just awful. It's not even that cheesy. Has it's, absolutely no big value cringe fest. whatsoever. Cringe. That's the one. Cringe. Yeah. Um. Really messes up a simple concept that you know could easily make for a decent sequel. Uh. It just it's just embarrassing compared to the original. I think. I think really the issue is there were too many people involved. Yeah. And it ended up really messy. Um, because if if the first film taught us anything, is that horror and comedy can work together. Yeah, obviously it's not the first film to do it. But, you know, when you think horror comedy, you think an American werewolf in London. Yeah. You know, because there are funny elements, but still remembers to be a horror film. Yeah. Um, this tries to take it way too far and ends up being ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, really, just... I just bored. I don't know. It's shit. I'm sorry. It's I don't even know how to describe describe how how it's shit because it's just the 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, are you... <laughs> are you a fan of American Wealth in Paris? Do you dislike it as much as There's us? not even much fun. I mean, I didn't have much fun no. watching it. There's so many films on that we cover on the podcast. Yeah, that are a bit shit or a bit messy. But there's some fun to be had there. Yeah. This didn't even feel... Fu- I mean, the, obviously recording the podcast always feels fun. But um, watching the film didn't feel no. fun. I was like, God, how am I going to get some jokes out of this, guys? How am I going to make the podcast sound interesting with this shite? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yeah, let us know what your thoughts are on American Elf in Paris on social media. We're Horacult Trash over on Facebook and Instagram and Horacult Trash on Twitter. I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruz92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And Twitter. Uh, um, no? No, I don't have no. Twitter anymore, okay. do I? My mistake. I, I've not been saying Twitter for a few weeks. Yeah, you now. have. I have. I swear you have. Listen back. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on Epic Ask. Give us a rating on Spotify. Next week. Okay, I promise this isn't an official fee. No, I I think... (laughs) This is from 2000, so okay. I think once we acknowledge that our pattern seems to be in place, we're like, well, which ones would we like to cover? Um, Um... yeah, I mean, people like these yeah, films, yeah. you know, they're interesting ones. Well, we've got a good one next week, thankfully. We have a good film, and it is Cherry Falls. Cherry Falls. Yes. Great slasher film, uh, with yeah. a lot to discuss. Yeah, and it takes the screen formula into a um, even more comedy, Yeah, and it works in this case. It does. Thank God. So we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye.